It's the 24th of November in the year of our salvation, 2009. And this is Father Z with another podcast. We welcome back as our guest today, Pope Paul VI, who died in 1978. We heard from him in the last two podcasts, numbers 93 and 94, which focused on general audiences just days before his monumental innovation called the Novus Ordo, just before it went into effect on the first Sunday of Advent back in 1969. We will return to Pope Paul today, uh, and he will speak to us from his apostolic constitution called Missale Romanum. This was the instrument by which he implemented or promulgated the Novus Ordo Missae. of the 40th anniversary of the implementation of the Novus Ordo Mise, I made two podcasts, numbers 93 and 94, which focused on two general audiences. These audiences were just before Pope Paul VI put the Novus Ordo Mise into effect. So it was just before the first Sunday of Advent in 1969. Pope Paul, in those audiences, was trying to explain something about the nature of the changes people were going to see and experience and the reasons why they were being introduced. He recognized very openly that this was a historic moment, that this was an innovation, and that a lot would be lost with these changes. At the same time, he expressed his, what I think, somewhat anxious hope that this would be for the good of the people and for the church. He said that this was being done in obedience to the dictates of the Second Vatican Council and that they had no choice but to proceed. So the Novus Ordo went into effect on the first Sunday of Advent. That was the 30th of November, 1969. And this was by way of his decree in the apostolic constitution called Missale Romanum, by which he promulgated the new form of the Missale Romanum. The Constitution itself is called Missale Romanum from the first two words of the document. Now, in it, the Pope lays down many of the things that we have heard in the other two podcasts, but there are some additional things we can glean from the document as well. Now, as you listen, and I'm going to read this document, tune your ears for the following. The Pope opens with a wonderful parallel. The Council of Trent asked for a revision of the Missale Romanum, and Pius V did it. The Second Vatican Council asked for a revision of the Missale Romanum, and Paul VI is doing it. 
So he mentions also the long tradition of the Missal, going back to Gregory the Great, who died in the early part of the 7th century. Now, given that, uh, I think it's really amazing that they dared to touch this, but uh, let's leave that aside and go on. You can decide for yourself whether that was a good idea or not. The Pope, uh, Paul, in this case, demonstrates that other popes, even recently, had done revisions. Uh, there's not only the Pius V whom he mentioned, but there's also Pius Twelfth. Pius Twelfth changed the Holy Week rite. And this, uh, we are to conclude, uh, means that popes can do these things. So he lays out then what the council said had to be done. Uh, mass had to be made more coherent in its parts and simpler, and there had to be more scripture. And these changes were to help the faithful participate with greater participation, and they were meant to enrich people through a greater exposure to scripture and making mass make more sense. And Paul uh, stresses with great force the point about scripture. You'll hear how strongly he talks about that. Uh, he also lays out that this was the work of scholars. Once again, we have a, our parallel. Scholars helped to prepare Pius V's Missal. Scholars helped to prepare Paul VI's Missal. But uh, he also uh, says that there is now greater attention to Eastern Christian liturgy. Uh, then he talks about some of the concrete changes, including the most dramatic. And uh, he must have thought these were very dramatic things because he mentions them explicitly in this uh, apostolic constitution. He says that there are going to be entirely new texts, new compositions. There are going to be new Eucharistic prayers. Uh, so dramatic did Paul consider the change to the words of consecration that he actually gives them for uh, both the body and the blood in this text of this short constitution. You know, the document is very short, and so when you dedicate something, you're going to say something in a very short document. You must think it's very important. And uh, uh, the Pope also explains that the text Mysterium Fidei is going to be taken out of the consecration and moved and made uh, the, to be the introduction to an acclamation that is to take place in the Eucharistic prayer. Uh, he also says that some uh, ancient uses or practices were restored. Uh, I'm not quite sure how that squares with Pius XII's warning of in, in Mystici, Mystici Corporis Christi about uh, liturgical archaeologizing and all that, but uh, Pope Paul uh, didn't seem to think that that was the case with what he was doing in respect, for example, to the responsorial psalm. Uh, but also, listen for uh, him saying that the he mentions the Graduali Romanum. The Graduali Romanum is a book which contains all of the Gregorian chants for both the ordinary and the propers for masses. And he talks about singing the Mass. It's very interesting. Uh, this has an implication. He, he's, he's acknowledging that when Mass is sung, what is supposed to be used is the Graduale Romanum. 
you can decide for yourself whether that has been your experience in your parish when there is any singing. Are they using the Graduale Romanum and singing in Latin? Uh, but uh, let's let's move on. Uh, then he goes into the uh, legal part at the end of the document by which he proclaims uh, all this is to be uh, to go into force. He promulgates it. So this constitution is very brief, uh, but like quo primum of Pius V back in 1570, this had a monumental impact on the whole world. You know, some documents are so important, they have a worldwide impact. You think about this. This is the way that it's, the mass is, uh, that has been said pretty much in the same way for over 400 years. Uh, just, you know, because of, you know, 400 years uh, from the time of, of Quo Primum and Pius V's promulgation of the Missal, 1570. You know, think about the impact of this document. It changed the mass for the whole world. But let's now hear Paul VI's Apostolic Constitution Missale Romanum for the promulgation of the Novus Ordo Mise back in 1969, 40 years ago. Roman Missal, promulgated in 1570 by our predecessor St. Pius V, by decree of the Council of Trent, has been received by all as one of the numerous and admirable fruits which the Holy Council has spread throughout the entire Church of Christ. For four centuries, not only has it furnished the priests of the Latin Rite with the norms for the celebration of the Eucharistic sacrifice, but also the saintly heralds of the gospel have carried it almost to the entire world. Therefore, innumerable holy men have abundantly nourished their piety towards God by its readings from sacred scripture or by its prayers, whose general arrangement goes back, in essence, to St. Gregory the Great. Since that time there has grown and spread among the Christian people the liturgical renewal which, according to Pius XII, our predecessor of venerable memory, seems to show the signs of God's providence in the present time, a salvific action of the Holy Spirit in his church. This renewal has also shown clearly that the formulas of the Roman Missal ought to be revised and enriched. The beginning of this renewal was the work of our predecessor, this same Pius Twelfth, in the restoration of the Paschal Vigil and of the Holy Week Rite which formed the first stage of updating the Roman Missal for the present-day mentality. The recent Second Vatican Ecumenical Council, in promulgating the Constitution Sacrosanctum Concilium, established the basis for the general revision of the Roman Missal, in declaring, quote, both texts and rites should be drawn up so that they express more clearly the holy things which they signify, close quote, in ordering that, quote, 
the right of the masses to be revised in such a way that the intrinsic nature and purpose of its several parts, as also the connection between them, can be more clearly manifested, and that devout and active participation by the faithful can be more easily accomplished. Close quote. In prescribing that, quote, the treasures of the Bible are to be opened up more lavishly, so that richer fare may be provided for the faithful at the table of God's word. Close quote. In ordering, finally, that quote, a new rite for concelebration is to be drawn up and incorporated into the pontifical and into the Roman Missal. Close quote. One ought not to think, however, that this revision of the Roman Missal has been improvident. The progress that the liturgical sciences has accomplished in the last four centuries has, without a doubt, prepared the way. After the Council of Trent, the study, quote, of ancient manuscripts of the Vatican Library and of others gathered elsewhere, close quote, as our predecessor St. Pius V indicates in the Apostolic Constitution Quo Primum, has greatly helped for the revision of the Roman Missal. Since then, however, more ancient liturgical sources have been discovered and published, and at the same time liturgical formulas of the Oriental Church have become better known. Many wish that the riches, both doctrinal and spiritual, might not be hidden in the darkness of the libraries, but on the contrary might be brought into the light to illumine and nourish the spirits and souls of Christians. Let us show now in broad lines the new composition of the Roman Missal. First of all, in a general instruction which serves as a preface for the book, the new regulations are set forth for the celebration of the Eucharistic sacrifice concerning the rites and functions of each of the participants and sacred furnishings and places. The major innovation concerns the Eucharistic prayer. If in the Roman rite the first part of this prayer, the preface, has preserved diverse formulation in the course of the centuries, the second part, on the contrary, called the Canon of the Action, took on an unchangeable form during the 4th and 5th centuries. Conversely, the Eastern liturgies allowed for this variety in their anaphoras. In this manner, however, apart from the fact that the Eucharistic prayer is enriched by a great number of prefaces, either derived from the ancient tradition of the Roman Church or composed recently, we have decided to add three new canons to this prayer. In this way, the different aspects of the mystery of salvation will be emphasized, and they will procure richer themes for the thanksgiving. However, for pastoral reasons, and in order to facilitate concelebration, we have ordered that the words of the Lord ought to be identical in each formulary of the canon. Thus, in each Eucharistic prayer, we wish that the words be pronounced thus, over the bread, accipite et manducate ex hoc omnes, hoc est enim corpus meum, quod pro vobis tradetur. Over the chalice, Accipite et bibite ex eo omnes, hic est enim calix sanguinis mei, novi et eterni testamenti, qui provobis et promultis e fundetur in remissionem peccatorum, hoc facite in meam commemorationem. The words, 
Mysterium Fidei, taken from the context of the words of Christ the Lord and said by the priest, serve as an introduction to the acclamation of the faithful. Concerning the rite of the Mass, quote, the rites are to be simplified while due care is taken to preserve their substance, close quote. Also to be eliminated are, quote, elements which, with the passage of time, came to be duplicated or were added but with little advantage, close quote. Above all, in the rites of offering the bread and wine, and in those of the breaking of the bread and of communion. Also, quote, other elements which have suffered injury through accidents of history are now to be restored to their earlier norm of the Holy Fathers. Close quote. For example, the homily, the common prayer or prayer of the faithful, the penitential rite or act of reconciliation with God and with the brothers at the beginning of the Mass, where its proper emphasis is restored. According to the prescription of the Second Vatican Council, which prescribes that, quote, a more representative portion of the Holy Scriptures will be read to the people over a set cycle of years, close quote, and of the readings for Sunday are divided into a cycle of three years. In addition, for Sundays and feasts, the readings of the Epistle and Gospel are preceded by a reading from the Old Testament or, during Paschal Tide, from the Acts of the Apostles. In this way, the dynamism of the mystery of salvation, shown by the text of divine revelation, is more clearly accentuated. These widely selected biblical readings, which give to the faithful on feast days the most important part of sacred scripture, is completed by access to the other parts of the holy books read on other days. All this is wisely ordered in such a way that there is developed more and more among the faithful a, quote, hunger for the word of God, close quote, which, under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, leads the people of the new covenant to the perfect unity of the church. We are fully confident that both priests and faithful will prepare their hearts more devoutly and, together at the Lord's Supper, meditating more profoundly on sacred scripture, and at the same time they will nourish themselves more day by day with the words of the Lord. It will follow, then, that according to the wishes of the Second Vatican Council, sacred scripture will be at the same time a perpetual source of spiritual life, an instrument of prime value for transmitting Christian doctrine, and finally, the center of all theology." In this revision of the Roman Missal, in addition to the three changes mentioned above, namely the Eucharistic prayer, the rite for the Mass, and the Biblical reading, other parts have also been reviewed and considerably modified. The proper of seasons, the proper of saints, the common of saints, ritual Masses, and votive Masses. In all of these changes, particular care has been taken with the prayers, not only has their number been increased, so that the new texts might better correspond to new needs, but also their text has been restored on the testimony of most ancient evidences. For each ferial of the principal liturgical seasons, Advent, Christmas, Lent, and Easter, a proper prayer has been provided. 
even though the text of the Roman gradual, at least that which concerns the singing, has not been changed, still, for a better understanding, the responsorial psalm, which St. Augustine and St. Leo the Great often mention, has been restored, and the introit and the communion antiphons have been adapted for red masses. In conclusion, we wish to give the force of law to all that we have set forth concerning the new Roman Missal. In promulgating the official edition of the Roman Missal, our predecessor St. Pius V presented it as an instrument of liturgical unity and as a witness to the purity of the worship of the Church. While leaving room in the new Missal, according to the order of the Second Vatican Council, quote, for legitimate variations and adaptations, close quote, we hope nevertheless that the Missal will be received by the faithful as an instrument which bears witness to and which affirms the common unity of all. Thus, in the great diversity of languages, one unique prayer will rise as an acceptable offering to our Father in heaven through our High Priest, Jesus Christ, in the Holy Spirit. We order that the prescriptions of this Constitution go into effect November 30th of this year, the first Sunday of Advent. We wish that these, our decrees and prescriptions, may be firm and effective now and in the future, notwithstanding, to the extent necessary, the apostolic constitutions and ordinances issued by our predecessors and all other prescriptions, even those deserving particular mention and derogation. Given at Rome at St. Peter's, Holy Thursday, April 3, 1969, the sixth year of our pontificate. Pope Paul VI's Apostolic Constitution, Missale Romanum, and he used this to promulgate the Novus Ordo Missae back in 1969. Now, I'd like to re return to a couple points here. Now, Paul mentioned Pius V's Quo Primum, and I want to bring up a point about that document. Now, Pius, back in the 16th century, laid down that if there was a venerable rite at least 100 years old, then it could be retained uh, in you know whatever area or territory uh, it was. It could be retained as a local right. And yet no one could be impeded from using the Missale Romanum, the Roman Missal, even if you were in Braga, Portugal, or even if you were in Milan, where the Ambrosian Rite uh, was in force. If a priest desired, say, for example, you're a, a priest in Milan, if that Milanese priest desired, he could use the Roman Missal, the Roman form. 
and he couldn't be impeded from doing so. Now, after this document that we just heard, Missali Ramadam, there was a consistent attempt made, and uh, as we have had recently affirmed by Pope Benedict, incorrectly and unlawfully, uh, there was a, a an attempt made, consistent uh, war waged on the venerable rite of Mass that was many centuries old, the traditional Roman form of Holy Mass. So there was really kind of a different attitude, uh, wasn't there? Um, in a sense, uh, Pius V, who was, shall we say, fighting a theological defensive war, uh, and also, I guess, uh, going on the offense, uh, against the theological revolt that was taking place in Northern Europe, which threatened uh, all of uh, Christendom. Uh, when he was doing what he did, he made things, of course, more consistent from the point of view of worship, by giving the whole world a single missile to unite them, but he was also building flexibility into it too. Now, at the time of Paul the Sixth, when everyone was trying to be more open and so forth, more flexible in regard to the outside world, the modern world. Uh, yet there was this strange um, inability to provide flexibility also for the older traditional forms of, of mass. It's kind of a, a strange uh, paradox. Uh, so, the way that the Novus Ordo was implemented, it was done with a kind of a savage repression of the older form of Mass. A different, very decidedly different attitude. Now, we have to also acknowledge that Paul VI permitted uh, the use of the older Mass as by way of an exception for older priests. And also later he would uh, permit, at the request of Cardinal Heenan of Westminster, uh, that it, it, the older form of Mass could be used in England under a certain kind of an indult. And then later on, it was in 1984, that John Paul II issued an indult for the use of the older form of Mass. That was some 15 years you know, or so uh, before, you know, 14, 15 years into the experience of the Novus Ordo. But then in 2007, Pope Benedict XVI laid to rest the question of the legal status of the older Mass by saying that it had never been abrogated. That means it had never been abolished to the point where it, you know, it couldn't be used. It was still legally in force. And on that point, uh, coming out of the motu proprio sumorum pontificum, I think we have to say a few other things. Now, first of all, sumorum pontificum, Benedict XVI's motu proprio, by which he emancipated, I like to call it the Emancipation Proclamation, uh, for the Old Mass. Uh, in that uh, document, he does something juridical about uh, the priest's ability to use the older form of Mass. That is to say, the Holy Father did not solve or try to solve the scholarly questions or theological questions about whether or not the older form of Mass and the newer form of Mass are the same rite or whether they are two different rites. What the Holy Father did in Summorum Pontificum was juridical. And I think that's an important thing to keep in mind when considering it. So when Pope 
Benedict says that there is one Roman rite in two forms. He did a juridical thing. He removed the need for any priest to have to, ha- to have to have separate permission to use the pre-Novus Ordo form of Mass. That is to say, if a priest has faculties to say Mass at all, he also has faculties uh, for the old Mass, too, automatically. He has faculties for both forms, automatically. Now, that's a juridical solution, and a brilliant one, too. It's not a theological solution. He didn't give faculties to all the priests in the world to say the old mass. See, what he did is he said that since there is two, there are two forms of one rite, if you have faculties at all, then you have faculties to do everything that the rite that's involved in that rite, juridically. You automatically have faculties to do both. The, the faculties that you receive embrace both forms, so you don't have to have a separate faculty. That means that you know, it, it, because if you have, if you can give a faculty, so you can take a faculty away too. So I think that was a, a great, a brilliant juridical solution, but it doesn't solve the theological questions that you can raise or historical questions about the way in which the Novus Ordo is or isn't in continuity or in discontinuity with the church's form of prayer that was used for so many centuries in the previous editions of the Missali Romanum. Gather round me, everybody, gather round me while I preach some, feel a sermon coming on me, the topic will be sin, and that's what I'm again, if you want to hear my story. Then settle back and just sit tight While I start reviewing The attitude of doing right You got to accentuate to positive Eliminate the negative and latch on to the affirmative, don't mess with Mr. In-Between. You got to spread joy up to the maximum. Bring gloom now, there's another point that we could go back to, uh, well, quite a few that we could go back to in the Holy Father's Apostolic Constitution, Missali Romanum. But uh, I want to call back to your mind that he talked about the moving of the words Mysterium Fidei, and that they would become the introduction to an acclamation. Um, A lot of people say that that invalidates the consecration. Because they have changed the formula of consecration. And that's wrong, of course. Uh, It doesn't invalidate the consecration, because those words mysterium fidei aren't part of the basic form, the fundamental form of the sacrament, of the, of, the, of the consecration of the precious blood. 
but you should know also that the Holy Father wrote an encyclical called Mysterium Firei in 1965, just a few years before this. And he says uh, something about the Holy Eucharist as a mystery of faith. Uh, by the way, in the very first sentence of uh, the Holy Father's encyclical Mysterium Fidei, he uses the phrase ineffable gift, uh, which could be kind of a shock to a certain bishop we know, but I digress. Anyway, in uh, paragraph 15 of Paul VI's encyclical uh, Mysterium Fidei, he says this, First of all, we want to recall something that you know very well, but that is absolutely necessary if the virus of every kind of rationalism is to be repelled. It is something that many illustrious martyrs have witnessed to with their blood, something that celebrated fathers and doctors of the church have constantly professed and taught. We mean the fact that the Eucharist is a very great mystery. In fact, properly speaking, and in the words of the sacred liturgy, the mystery of faith. Quote, it contains within it, as Leo XIII, our predecessor of happy memory, very wisely remarked, all supernatural realities in a remarkable richness and variety of miracles. Close quote. That's just a little taste from Paul VI's 1965 encyclical Mysterium Fidei on the Holy Eucharist. Now, the removal of the words Mysterium Fidei from the consecration does not invalidate the consecration, but it does raise some questions, doesn't it? Uh, the first question I would raise is, was that really done for the good of the faithful? Uh, that, did that take place for the good of the faithful? Is there really a great good for the faithful? that there be an interruption in the Eucharistic prayer for an, an acclamation at that moment, really. If we're talking about mystery, is that interruption of the Eucharistic prayer really for the good of the faithful? And I raise that question because the Second Vatican Council, the fathers said that no changes should be made unless it was really for the good of the faithful. Now, that whole mystery of faith, that Mysterium Fidei, has a long and profound theology developed over the centuries. But here, in the newer form of Holy Mass, uh, we get the impression that that mystery of faith is concerning what then follows in the acclamations, the different optional uh, different options that you have, the different formulae of acclamations that occur, rather than what the Mysterium Fidei always referred to, and that is the mystery of transubstantiation. Now, we have to grant that all of these acclamations, and here they are in the new translation that has been developed, and the first one being, We proclaim your death, O Lord, and profess your resurrection until you come again. Or another option is, when we eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim your death, O Lord, until you come again. Or another one, save us, Savior of the world, for by your cross and resurrection 
you have set us free. A little different from the you know, way we are used to hearing them in the uh, lame duck translation from back in 1973, uh, but uh, going on. Um, these, uh, these acclamations now follow Mysterium Fidei, and so we get the impression that Myster, when you say Mysterium Fidei, the mystery of faith that you're talking about is, are one of these you know, three things that might follow rather than transubstantiation, which is what, you know, we always thought, you know, for centuries before, which has created a little bit of confusion. Now, we have to admit that all three of these acclamations deal with the Paschal mystery, the death and the resurrection of the Lord, and that that Paschal mystery is certainly at the heart of what's happening up there at the altar. But I ask, was this done for the, for the good of the faithful? I just, I don't know. I don't know. I think the jury is out. It's only been 40 years since we've been uh, doing it this way. And I think that uh, you can make arguments on both sides. But no matter what, certainly now having the use also of the older missal, the traditional form of the Roman Rite, as part of our official worship, uh, having this reintegrated back into our prayer lives, uh, brick by brick, more by a little bit more every, every week, it seems, we can now more easily see those elements of the Novus Ordo, which are in continuity with what uh, we were doing for so long and which are actually innovations. And we have a better way of assessing these things and putting them in the right perspective. And we also must, must, must keep in mind that Holy Church is not going to promulgate rites which are not valid. That would be against the very nature of, of, of the Church. The Church is indefectible. So we are not going to be given rites that are invalid. So if you hear anyone you know, talk about uh, you know, the removal of Mysterium Fidei as something that invalidates the consecration of the precious blood. I think you can uh, you know, pretty quickly dispel any, any doubts about that. It does not invalidate the consecration. But there is a question which can be discussed, and I think should be discussed, uh, so that we can get clarity about you know, what happened and you know, what we're doing uh, during Holy Mass, how we participate actively, fully, consciously during Holy Mass. Uh, what about these changes, you know, changes to the offertory prayers, changes to the beginning of Mass, changes to the end of Mass, uh, the different moments of, of silence, uh, when acclamations are to be made, uh, these things, I think we can ask these questions. Were they really for the good of the faithful? Uh, I'm not going to attempt to answer that question now. Instead, I'm going to bring this podcast to a close. But that's something that you can ponder and discuss on your own. With that, I'm going to wrap up this podcast. This has been the third of the podcasts I've done on the 40th anniversary of the implementation of the Novus Ordo. 40 years. 
Uh, there are lots of questions that are still open about the use of the Novus Ordo, uh, which obviously is here to stay. But now we also have the older form of Mass uh, alongside, and it's uh, gaining ground, and people are becoming more and more open to ask questions about uh, Holy Mass and try to understand what happened and try to understand uh, the way things were. I think this is very healthy. Very, there are very healthy discussions and questions uh, to raise because the way we pray has a reciprocal relationship with what we believe. If we pray a certain way, we will believe a certain way. And our belief will also bring us to pray in with certain forms. There's a reciprocal relationship between them. So fully under, understanding more fully who we are requires us to understand more fully how we pray. And on that note, I invite you to come and discuss these very things on the blog, wdtprs.com. What does the prayer really say? That's Whiskey Delta Tango, paparomeosierra.com. If that's a little hard to remember, uh, you can always just look up Father Z using Google or go to fatherzonline.com. Come on over, have some discussions with some pretty smart people. Good civil, charitable, well-informed discussion. And also feel free to use the donation button. That's a very welcome, uh, nice surprise that comes in to uplift uh, my spirits, and uh, I can use that in very practical ways to keep these things going. Thank you very much for also the response that you've made to the last two podcasts. I hope they've been really helpful. And perhaps this one will be again, and it will inspire you to pray for me as I pray for you. Mm -hmm.